It was like being in a botanic paradise. You were surrounded by these amazing mountains called the Remarkables, covered in ice. Then you're on this lake. It is like being in Switzerland. Can we mention Hendo? Was that not the cock-up of the highest order? It was the cock-up of the highest order. It's not about leaving home. It's about the fact they don't want to be at the Gold Coast, which has had a poor culture, poor development, poor rehab issues. And we are a happy team at Hawthorne. Yes, you are. But I think Scrimshaw won't know what's hidden when Clarko has a go at him. Gosh, you wouldn't want to cross Camilla, would you? Oh, well, I just, she holds a grudge. I don't think she's been really up to speed with her royal duties. I think she's been very slack. I think she's much happier having a fag and a scotch at her hunting lodge. Just watch out for Beto. If he doesn't win this race against Ted Cruz, he'll be with us for a long time. And he's also very handsome. I know that is a girly, non-politically correct thing to say, but he really is a very handsome, nice chap. Go away for two days without Wi-Fi. Seriously, you can't send text messages, you can't get emails. You basically put away your phone for two days. That is a true holiday. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome, everybody, to episode 58 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson, and I'm back. And my dear friend, the bookseller, journalist extraordinaire, who's walked in with a beautiful blow wave, Corrie Perkins. It's an old blow wave, Caro, thank you. I'm able to get a few days out of my blow wave. Miss Jane and I have just been having a lament uh, while we were waiting for you about Jane. I walked out of the studio with Jane the other night, and it was pouring with rain, and do you know J- Miss Jane straightens her hair, that beautiful long hair? She said, I've just straightened my hair and it's just going to be wrecked now. And she walked in the following morning and her hair looked absolutely beautiful. I said, your hair survived. She said, I had to do it all again. Miss Jane needs a, bl- a hairdresser. And Jane has hair all the way down her back. It must take you, Jane, probably an hour and a half to do it. It's about time Miss Jane grew up and became... Celebrate those curls, Jane. And, and No, don't celebrate the curls. Find a good hairdresser. <laughs> It's not that hard. It's an industry, Jane. Now, I've been away for a few weeks, so Corrie, thank you for holding the fort. And Miss Jane also held the fort and produced a series. Do you think it was a bit early for us to produce a show reel, (laughs) a highlights reel? Well, the funny thing was the response on social media when when it was announced we were doing a best of. Some people thought that we had been axed. <laughs> how, how do you axe After yourself? only 58 episodes. Yeah, nobody kind of employs us. So why would we? I mean, I might sack you and just say, no, I'd prefer to do it with Anna or well, something. People were probably thinking that I've been so absent. But the last time we spoke, it was just before the grand final. So much you've has You've been happened. away forever. You've, so much you've has traveled, happened, You've traveled across... I've seas done road trips, mountains I've been and... overseas. I've, it's only two weeks. A lot has happened. Of course, um, one of the great grand finals has taken place. Anna from the op shop and Slats, Jeff Slattery, filled in while I was away. So thank you very much, guys, for doing that for me. They're going to be part of a very big event we have coming up that we'll tell you about in a minute. So much to talk about, Corrie. The Royals are in town Trade Week is coming to a close. What a fascinating industry that has become. You have a really, really good crush for the interchange bench, and I look forward to hearing about that. My daughter, Clem, has created one of the great, great bar snack or meal recipes that I'm going to tell you all about in recipes. Our friend, 
has put out a book which we launched in a brief sojourn back in Melbourne that I had last week. We, we launched. Did. That was the we last time. It's the only week. time I've seen you in three weeks. But so we're just, going to talk about that. You just mentioned Jeff Slatter and you called him Slats, and I just wanted to uh, say good day to Brett who has emailed us at feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au, which any of you are welcome to do. And Brett has had a bit of a crack at me, uh, episode 57, where I continued to refer to Jeff Slattery, our friend, as Slats. And then we referred to Ian Henderson as Hendo. And we referred to uh, the late, great Tony Peake as Peaky. And uh, Brett says, is this the same woman that criticised a bunch of men for using nicknames when referring to people in an earlier episode? She really needs to document the silly things she sometimes says, usually in the process mm. of man bashing, before she says them. Well, I, I don't think you say silly things, but I do oh, think... Oh, thanks. No, okay, I, that's but, good. No, but, but Brett's I'm right. I'm glad we spent 58 weeks working no, that we out. Should, we should give Brett credit for actually listening I'm not. I did not, cri- did not criticise Brett. And I it said, is true. It is shout true. Shout out to Brett. It is true about the nicknames. And you are a bit of it. You're more of a nickname user than me. I'm often sort of bagged in my... in Because my, I mainly work with men in the footy industry and I don't do nicknames much. No, no, I am a bit of a nickname person with uh, people I care about. My point about the boys on football shows and so on is that it is a constant and they are in the media. They are getting paid for it. Last time I looked, you and I weren't getting paid for this. Well, yes, so. but, but you know, well, no, but it's <laughs> but a I take, I take thing. his point. But no, these but when you were working friends. at the age in the Australian, you called people by nicknames. Yes, but not every time I would go on air. No. Well, and if I was interviewing you on the ABC or somewhere that was a little more formal than Don't Shoot the Messenger, I would refer to you as Caroline and then I might call you Caro, but I wouldn't be calling you Nance, Kaz or any of the other nicknames that you have, would That's, I? No, that's fair enough. Anyway, I, I, thanks, Brett, for I, listening. I think, I appreciate I think come one all to Corrie and Brett in that one. <laughs> now, but, but can I just briefly mention, uh, can we mention Hendo, Ian Henderson, just quickly now? Because I was away last week. But was that not the cock-up of the highest order? It was the cock-up of the highest order, particularly, I know Carol. it's old news, but I need to go over it because <laughs> I'm to just fascinated it. by what well, happened. particularly in a week when the ABC was just going from bad to worse to shocking, with the Prime Minister saying if, they don't, if the board doesn't sort itself out or the interim chairman sort itself out, I'm going to step in. So the, the ABC has been a place of incredible tension. And so we have the Thursday night, which is supposed to be Ian Henderson, Melbourne Newsreader's final night after all these years with the ABC. Sort We're all quarter of a century he's been doing this gig. We are he? all watching, Caro. The mob in Ballarat, Charlie, my son-in-law, is an, is an Ian Henderson fanatic. So we were texting, you know, like, don't forget to watch kind of thing. So we're all propped up, ready to go. And at about the 10 or 12 or 15 minute mark, suddenly Juanita, Juanita Phillips in Sydney has taken over the broadcast. No explanation. And they did say later that they were very apologetic that nothing came up on screen to say, or, or the announcer to say, look, by the way, Melbourne has lost transmission. But we still don't actually know what happened. But someone, I think, must have just turned the plug off. So there's Ian all primed, all ready to rock and roll with a montage of his greatest moments in reporting, which included, <laughs> you know, the Great Wall. In, that wasn't in, one of them. <laughs> well, no, included the Berlin Wall falling and including various coups and um, all sorts of typhoons and God knows what else he's covered in his extraordinary career on the other side of the desk. And then we saw his news reading faux pas and funny moments and everything. That all just had, we had to have that on Friday night. So Hendo had yeah, to that's come back. That's what he did the Dame Nelly Melba. He had another crack at it. Well, so I, are people I know, I know a couple of people who are also Ian Henderson fans who said, you know, we had a dinner date at seven. 
And, you know, she was saying to her husband, we can't go until I've seen Ian Henderson's last night on the Friday <laughs> night. It was very stressful. Well, no. Well, I'm, I, I, I'm Apparently, John Fane the next morning monstered Craig McMurtry, the head of TV of the ABC. And, I mean, it wasn't a sort of a bullying situation like that frightful Alan, Alan Jones attacking the Opera House boss um, a, a week or so ago. But it was a, he, he absolutely nailed it. He basically established that after seven o'clock there was no technical person in TV in Sydney or Melbourne. So <laughs> so the, the good news is that, um, as a good news reader once told me, you always have a script in front of you just in case the auto cue breaks down. And that's what happened first. So he did the first two by script. But then when they went to Juanita, when the whole thing just went kapow, um, she then repeated the story he'd already started doing with the same backdrop. I mean, and no is, explanation to all of us. I hate to use a footy analogy, but the cavalcade of retiring stars. You know, the four, the um, w- when they go around the um, MCG Toyota, Toyota <laughs> it's like the Toyota breaking down in the bowels of the MCG and not making it out. Except right. this is, and you're going, where's Michael Tuck? Oh no, very <laughs> for you, lap of honour. Anyway, we've got to see it the following night, and we just wish Ian Henderson. Uh, and his lovely wife, Sue, a fabulous time in retirement. Although I think uh, Ian will still be connected in many ways and forms with our community. He certainly said he would be. So it would be good to see him pop up, I don't know, as some sort of journalism doyen or... One day we're going to have a chat, ABC about, board a member chat or... about retirement. Because I, when I heard he was retiring, I was like, why are you retiring? I mean, you've gone to four days a week. You, yes, it's a hard job. I mean, people underrate how hard it is to be a news broadcaster, um, telecaster, but he just doesn't seem old enough to me. Well, and Caro, no, I think it's more that you and I are getting old. No, a bit more on that later with my crush, actually. Well, well, and next week or in the in the coming weeks, we're going to talk to one of the great the man who's called more Melbourne Cups than anyone else, who has a new book out, Greg Miles. I'm really looking forward and to that. And I reckon, see, I think he retired too early, and I want to ask him about that because he addresses this in the book, and it's really interesting. And I'm wondering if Greg sometimes wonders. Oh, what if? Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. But anyway, Corrie, thank you for having me back. You've probably forgotten what I look like. Mm, I do. I did go to somewhere. Do, do, do I get any prezzies this time from your trips? No, but I've got a present for um, Little Willow in my car. Oh, have you? Yes. Oh, she'll be very thrilled. Better, better late than never. Um, and your little granddaughter's doing well, I hear. And um, I gather coming for her first sleepover. She is. <laughs> That's very exciting. Excited. She's plumping up by the minute. And a couple of potties have asked how Willow is uh, thriving. She's out of hospital. She's at home. She's uh, growing and peachier by the minute. And Harriet, her sister, is behaving well. So that's all good. Tick the box. There you go. Now, we have a greeting from Ballarat, actually, speaking of the Ballarat gang. And it says, uh, girls, what a treat, although I do feel as though I'm betraying the other fab duo. And this is from Lizzie W. in Ballarat. And she refers to the other fab duo as Annabelle and Lee. Annabelle Crabbenley, Sales Cara, how can we even be mentioned in oh, the same breath we, as we them? They are so we're wonderful. Not comparing They're that. goddesses. No. They're our favourites. Lizzie, you're not betrayed. There's room for everyone, Lizzie. (laughs) Lizzie says, however, I must say that the audio uh, is a little clearer. You girls have yet to broadcast from a hotel bathroom. Oh, you were so desperate to get me into a hotel. You bring this up all the time, Corrie. I know you you and us giggling on a bed. Miss Jane and I remember fondly fondly (laughs) that episode of Annabelle and Lee when when they... I don't know whether they were boozed or overtired. They caught the red eye special. I don't know, but they just sat on their hotel bedroom... One of their bedroom, one of their beds in Western Australia, <laughs> just they, and they decided to roll the podcast machine. It was hilarious. Anyway, Lizzie goes on to say, loving the BSF crush and grump, but the icing is the footy. 
uh, and look forward to an excursion to visit Corrie in the bookshop. That's very nice. Hope to see you sometime soon, Lizzie. Well, I'll tell you very quickly about Queenstown, Corrie, because I went uh, there on a holiday. Can uh, I not because, tell you about yeah, that? Yeah, but can I just do one quick apology? This is a really big apology. Sorry. Um, what have you done now? Well, I lost the don't shoot. I, don't, I lost the Caro and Corrie Instagram account. That, look, this is, is it, this is about your flipping password Jane, to- again. Jane, I told you she'd be cross. No, no. Well, I actually, Corrie's saying, send photos of you and Brendan at the grand final. Send photos of you in Queenstown. So I sent this, you know, I look like Marlo Thomas out of that girl with my arms outstretched in front of the one of the more beautiful geographic backdrops you have ever seen. And she came back and said, once I get the Instagram up and running, well, that was two weeks ago. So what happened that we have, in, in the space of just a year, we've gained more than a 1,000 of you following us on the Carol and Corey Instagram. Well, can I just ask you not to follow us on that anymore? Just hear me out, Carol, because you actually know nothing about technology. So it, what I I'm about to tell my you, password, Corey. what I'm about to tell you, you probably won't understand, but I have five Instagram accounts, okay? And every time you log in with a new Instagram account, you add it to your collection, but you have to give a different uh, email address. So I have a number of email addresses through the bookshop and family members and so on. My problem was that I couldn't forget, I couldn't remember which email address I had used and I couldn't remember the password because I've had a different password on every one. Now, look. Have you tried every combination? I have tried. Look, it's like trying to get into the Bank of London. I cannot get, I've tried everything. What is it, Jane? It's at don't shoot pod. Oh, Don't is it? Shoot Pod. If Don't you... Shoot Pod is our new Instagram account. I think we have about 22 followers. Oh, I... Well, you don't have me. I wasn't aware <laughs> of it. 171, Corrie. It's, it's fine. Oh, thank you, Jane. So my so you son... want my so... holiday snaps or not? <laughs> so, well, I do. well, I do. No, I do know. 107 people will be really pleased. But all of the other 800 and something people, 893 people who haven't migrated across, I did invite a number of people. That was my son Will's suggestion. Just get, just invite everybody to follow your new Instagram account. So I did, and there were so many people. After about two hundred, I thought, oh, I can't keep following. I can't keep pressing, clicking, pressing, clicking. So I just hope that everybody migrates over. So Carol and Corey, you know, is now gone to bed. Yeah, well, Forever. it's probably better. R.I.P. It's probably better we're called after the, the the show that we do. Well, that's right because if I decide I don't want to do it with you anymore and bring in Anna from the op shop, exactly. I couldn't. You I couldn't have do... Caro and Corey and Anna. But if I want to, if it's the other way around, I have to find out your email address. So <laughs> this rather nails so you, you to the seat. You need me. Corrie, I'm not yeah, going to okay, go tell on us about, about Queenstown. Tell us about but Queenstown. It was a bit of a bucket list um, place. I've never been there. I just want to say. Good local tip. If you want to go to Queenstown, go when I did the first week of October because you know how they say you've got to go to Japan when the cherry blossoms are out? Well, guess what? They're, in, they're all over Queenstown. What a I, great tip. There are cherry blossoms everywhere. We actually stayed in Queenstown and then we stayed near the little village of Arrowtown and the cherry blossoms, every, I mean, there are avenues of them, Corrie, and the local, um, well, they're not called Botanic Gardens, but the Queenstown Gardens covered with you know, rhododendrons, sycamore trees. There are some of the more beaut- magnolias of every colour. It was like being in a botanic paradise. 
And not only that, but you were surrounded by these amazing mountains called the Remarkables, which have got ice peaks, you know, covered in ice. And then the, then you're on this lake. It, it's, it is like being in Switzerland. Well, that photograph where you look like Julie Andrews with your arms out standing with the hills I think I behind. said Marlo Thomas, sorry. <laughs> well, no, that was an urban scene, Caro. That's if you true. remember Marlo Thomas, That's she true. was in the middle of New York. That's true. I usually think Julie Andrews <laughs> at the top of the hills. That's what you look like. And I just was so struck by a couple of things. Firstly, I follow because I want to go to Norway as you know, sometime in my life. Hey, three and, and a half hours, go to Queenstown, <laughs> well, it's I much fo- closer. And cheaper. But I follow uh, various Norwegian, Norway travel Instagrams. So every day these photographs are coming up. And when yours popped into my inbox, I thought, you know what, looks just as beautiful it and really, not as expensive. It really is. And we went on picnics and beautiful drives and we walked to the top of the peak and the boys played golf. We went with another couple, as you know, our friends Rick and Sal. It was a perfect holiday. The food was amazing. There's some great little bars that are straight out of New York. The town's a pretty touristy town, but it's small, it's tiny, it's contained. And you're on this incredible lake. So you can do a lake walk or a mountain walk. Then you go on a few drives. As a golfer, you would absolutely love it. As a non-golfer, it didn't matter at all. Did you have snow? There was snow up on the mountains. But um, funnily enough, Brendan's been there before and he said there was more snow when he went in November. We were there in early October. They predicted rain for every second day. It never really rained. We were really lucky. We had some brilliant sunny days. Um, John Brooker, who works for Croc Media, gave us some wonderful tips, um, including this gorgeous old pub called the Cardrona in this tiny little village. I mean, land of the cherry blossom, land of the outdoor fire, Corrie. Everywhere you go, there were these beautiful big stone outdoor fires. And the I mean, I went straight down, came straight home and stacked all, restacked all my wood. You've never seen more artistic wood piles in your <laughs> life. And it was great. So Queenstown, tick. I heard, I heard you, is that why you're having a photography session at your home? <laughs> no, I heard that you were having one no. of our friends, a professional photographer, around to photograph your home. No, it's your wood stack. No, she's staying at another, she's photographing another house. I've just offered her a bed for the night. But it is a beautiful place and it is very close. And you were so far south. So there's do you this fly, Do you fly from Melbourne to Queenstown? Melbourne to Queenstown, tiny airport. You fly in through these spectacular mountains and lakes. So it is like land. You, you see it all from the plane. And then... You get there and you are so far south. that I mean, you're way further south than Tasmania, which I hadn't really realised. I haven't been that far south in New Zealand before. And it's the did last... Did you ever look at a map at school? Well, I did, but I, I, said to, I said to Rick and Sal and Brendan, well, I've been to Wellington, so I've been to the South Island. And Rick pointed out day two, actually, that's on the, on the North, North Island. Island. The southern it, part of the North Island. It's very south, though. Anyway, but it, it's sort of like a much prettier version of Wellington. And, it's, it really, and, and you, the, the air feels so different. You, you know, when you're in cold, clean air and it's sunny, it's just... I would be a bit nervous about that plane ride coming in. I always remember that scene in Lost Horizon, the original, not the one oh, with yeah. Liv Ullman. But the, the original yeah, The original one, one yeah. where the plane, it's like a fake plane. Yeah. Have you ever seen the black and white movie? No, no I, like I have. Little... And it was a much better version. It wasn't a musical it's like for a, a little start. Air, like the little airline version of a Tonka truck. So yeah. this little plane and somebody's got it on wires and it sort of makes its way through a landscape, which is to look like the Himalayan Alps. It breaks me up <laughs> well, every time. Well, well this actually it. happens. And in fact, when Brendan came last time, they went. They had three attempts. And the, after, with the third one, they said, we only do three. Like after that, we head off. Oh. So it didn't happen with us. We, we we had a perfect we had a perfect and we did jet boats. We did the shot over jet through the canal through these amazing um what are they called? Caves and um caverns cavernous 
Oh, it was just beautiful. And did you bungee jump in the nude? No bungee jumping. No, it didn't do the helicopter thing with the golf clubs or anything like that. But we did go to some beautiful places. And Jeff Slattery suggested you were having uh, treatments, beauty treatments. Oh, we did have a, one, a spa morning one morning, oh. a facial. Well, that's a facial. Oh, no, that, that just, no I'm, saying, I'm laughing with envy because I would love nothing more than a spa morning. And if you're into wineries really and nice. stuff and with incredible views, I mean, it is just honestly amazing. So that was really good. Then I had a girls' road trip for our book club long weekend, which was lovely. And I'll tell you a bit more about that with my good local tip, Corrie. Okay. But you're, you, I know you'll be in fever pitch. Um, you sent me an email or a text, I think, during the book club weekend saying you were taking one for the team and watching the royal wedding. <laughs> oh, what a joke. You would have said that. It's probably the reason you didn't come on the book club weekend. Oh, that's just so mean. I you didn't even – well, after Prince Andrew, you know, put it on the Beeb to broadcast it and the BBC said, no, sorry, we don't think we'll get the ratings, I thought, oh, well, nobody's going to record it. And on the Friday afternoon, I just happened to glance at the – at, you know the rundown of what's ha- what's on tonight. You Channel and, Seven. You and it. Anna from the Op Shop. Both. You know my niece or oh, my niece-in-law, so Sarah Stinson, produced the whole thing for Channel Seven. Well, Sarah, who's about to give birth to my first niece. Well, Sarah, um, I was a bit sorry, concerned. great niece. I was a bit. Con- can we tell Sarah that I was a bit concerned about our, uh, Sunrises Edwina Bartholomew, who was one of the co-hosts with Michael Usher. So they were in the obviously the the royal box in the Sydney the Sydney um, headquarters. And their cross was a bit annoying, actually. I found that, and and Kathy Lett and all that was all a bit weird. But I did find Edwina Bartholomew's. I, I don't know what is your thought about what is your feeling about evening dresses where with one shoulder exposed, so across the shoulder. I'm not an exponent of the um, off the shoulder look, but um, but the crossover, you know, yeah, so one know. shoulder was covered yeah. and one was. I didn't think it sat very well on television. Oh for no, Edwina. I um I like I like it on people with nice shoulders. Well, I've I've stopped doing any off the shoulder after you told me that my bra strap lines showed on TV, which I'm still injured about a year later. But um, no, that's what a good friend will do. It's my, like a friend will say you've got something on your nose, or somebody will say, like we did to our friend Jana at the age one day. You and I said, "Oh, darling, you've got a whisker on your chin." Or you've, no, you've got a little bit of hair on your chin, and we went to touch it. Remember, and we she went, believe, "Oh," and we I picked, can't believe you're telling. And we story. picked the I cannot, whisker. <laughs> I cannot believe you. Were, you and I were both so mortified. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> My daughter Rose is an exponent of the crossover shoulder, and I reckon it looks great. Okay, no, I like it. I like it. Yes, I think you have to be a certain age and a certain size. I did think Eugenie looked absolutely beautiful. So did I. Well, how did you watch it? Or did you watch it I on Catch Up Later? Look, no, I just looked at the photo. Okay, I mean, so look, a, a, cu- a couple of highlights, Cara. Eugenie's dress, as you said, was really uh, stunning for her, and I did think that she was uh, enormously brave and clever, actually, to have the back showing and, of course, proud about her scar where she'd had that terrible surgery when she was 12. The so, scoliosis. Correct. So I, I thought I thought that was uh, very um, – she made, a, she made a, a, a subtle and important point, uh, which I really loved that. And I really liked the emerald tiara, which apparently was a bit of a favourite of the Queen Mother's, but I can't ever recall having seen the Queen Mother in that in any photographs. I thought but the anyway, tiara was beautiful. The, um, the emerald was good on her. It was a really bad choice by the mother of the bride. Jack was very uh, emotional as a groom. I thought he was a lovely groom and they, is, is they he were a so Brand, brand ambassador. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> that is the most ridiculous job I have ever heard. Good on him. Tequila brand ambassador. In business with George Clooney, or was, Who, until George sold out. And the last but, minute withdrawal from the wedding, wasn't he, George? Yes, we didn't see them. They weren't there. Twin, no show. Twins must have been arcing up in Como or something. 
But I think the royal to watch, the, the, the one who captivates me, I mean, Kate Middleton looked beautiful in her scarlet, of she's course. very thin, Kate. She's lost she's a lot of weight. She's lost a lot of weight. She looked beautiful in her navy, Megan. Uh, there were lots of highlights in the fashion world. But in terms of the royal that sparkles, the one who has the it factor, that Princess Charlotte. Oh, isn't she gorgeous? Oh, my goodness. Yep. She attracts every camera. Yep. She is, she's got the natural wave. Yeah, she's she, almost got that Queen Mother. You oh, know how the Queen Mother used to just do I'm, it so I'm looking slowly. forward to yeah, watching her grow up. I'm doing it as the potties can you, see me doing it. But we're you know not being filmed, Cory. <laughs> why not? <laughs> you know how the Queen Mother used to have that little gentle... Oh, she's Charlotte's got most it. gorgeous little pudding and I love her gear. No, oh, she's, she's very great. sweet. I loved, I loved the autumnal bouquet around the entrance to St George's Chapel. I thought that was really a, a real a clever nod to the weather. Uh, everything was fastened. You know, we were terrified with that wind that flowers were going to be flying off and all that sort of thing. But it really looked very autumnal as they walked in. It was red and green. And, of course, the five-tier wedding cake, which was made of red velvet and chocolate with little E and J gold monograms around the base, 400 eggs, Cara, 20 kilos of sugar, not a good one for the diet. But I thought that was one of the most superb wedding cakes I've ever seen. If you're into that sort of thing, I'm not, but I did think it was great. Best dressed, I said the Duchess of Cambridge, the Queen. Well, look, Queen, Queen's fashion is getting better as she gets older, I reckon. I thought her powder, pale powder blue outfit and her hat was absolutely fabulous. You know, I, I agree. She has. He always looks fabulous. She always looks good. She looked really nice. But you know how about Harry's 15 years too. ago or 20 years ago, she was wearing rather like really matronly daggy stuff and daggy colours like, you know, lavender and things. Anyway, I think she's grooved up a bit. I thought Pixie Geldof in the hot pink chiffon was superb. And Poppy Delving, there was a lot of uh, focus on her sister Cara who wore, the you know, that fabulous tuxedo outfit. But I thought Poppy, her sister, in that powder blue outfit looked beautiful. Kate Moss, the model with her daughter Lila Grace Moss, uh, what a stunning pair of women they are. And uh, lots of highlights there. Fergie, not so sure about the outfit. Fergie, I thought it was a bit tight around the backside and I wasn't sure about the hat in the church. However, her colour is green, as we've always said. But it was an awful green. But, it's gra- but the highlight for me. dark emerald. As uh, well, Anna from the op shot said, she needed something on it. She needed jewellery on her neck. Some, yeah, she did. And, a, and a, the block colour did not work. No, I absolutely Is it, is it true agree. that Beatrice's job was just to keep her in check for the entire day? Apparently, well, that's what the announcer said. Make sure she said. didn't have a traveller in the car on the way to the wedding. I don't know about that. <laughs> that was a very mean article I read. And why? Well, well the com- announcers did say that too, which I thought was really unfair because I was going to say, Carol, apart from Princess Charlotte being a highlight for me, the other highlight was having Fergie back in the fold because she does add a- you know, offer a bit of spark. Well, she's hardly she got out of the limousine. They had to have her to her daughter's <laughs> wedding. I mean, oh, they <laughs> might not have, you know, what the royal family like, they're pretty tough. But I love the fact that as soon as she uh, and uh, Beatrice emerged from their uh, chauffeur-driven car outside the chapel, she walked straight over to the crowd to say day. She was back in town and she was beaming. And I thought, gosh, Fergie, we've really missed your energy over the years. You are, you know, you were different. Well, I love you, but I do think I'm with Anna from the op shop completely. I do think I've that got, I've got to say, I don't think right. I've missed Fergie that much. And speaking of missing, where was Camilla? 
Oh, she had a, well, apparently the word was, the, the official word was that she had uh, a, um, a charity event up north that she had committed to. But the word on the street, Cara, was that she was hosting a hunting party at her own home. Yeah, having a girl's night. Well, no, and, girls and boys. And boys, yeah. yeah. As we know, she likes a party. She's not that keen on Andrew and Fergie and just didn't want to be there because apparently the rift began when Camilla and Charles, the whole affair came out and Fergie very firmly took Diana's side. Gosh, you wouldn't want to cross Camilla, would you? Oh, well, I just, she holds a grudge. I don't think she's been really up to speed with her royal duties. I think she's been very slack. I think she's much happier having a fag and a scotch at her hunting lodge. She's honestly, really, I'm not happy. I mean, look, it's her choice and the, the relationship's lasted, but she's, you know, they earn a fair bit of money and I don't often see her. What, how, did, how long did she last at the Commonwealth Games? One day or something? Oh, yeah, but she was exhausted, remember, from the flight. Oh, please. Look, she's not the hardest working royal, but it's I, like, but Carol, I have to say the hardest working royal for me at the moment is Meghan, uh, you know, the Duchess of Suffolk, and of course Prince Harry. I think they are just troopers the way they are getting on with stuff, and of course they're here in Sydney at the moment for the Invictus Games, which I think is one of the truly great uh, inventions of recent times, and. Um, when when they emerged at the Channel Seven, were following the wrong plane, so that was quite funny. But when they eventually emerged, and someone got footage of them getting into their little chauffeur-driven car, and Harry's putting the putting the luggage in the back, you know, in the boot, I thought that was rather cute. And then they're out on day one, looking fresh, looking terrific. Well, they're only here no, for a few days. No so tanties. Like, but first... she is pregnant. Remember the first trimester? You're always pretty exhausted. Oh, she'd probably be feeling shocking. It, 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 that comment brings to mind another event we've missed and haven't had a chance to talk about. And Sal Loder and I were laughing about it all the way through our holiday in Queenstown. The appalling behaviour of the American Ryder Cup team and how badly they played and how egocentric and, you know, absolutely You girls shocking were getting were. in the mood of the golf while well, you were in New Zealand. Well, well no, but they're all these great articles and obviously, you know, my husband's obsessed by, he loves the Ryder Cup, but um, Bubba Watson's comment about how they had to fly all, you know, that it was really hard, they had to fly all that way from America to France. I mean, do these people have any idea what it's like living in Australia? What a bunch of egomaniacal, self-serving. Do you often find if you are with international friends or people you meet, you, there's a certain smugness about being an Aussie and there's a certain smugness of saying, yeah, it took 37 hours to get here. Anyway. Before we move off from the Royals, Carol, I do, I do want to urge people to have a look at the Invictus Games. It's not all about the Royals. It is a really worthwhile, uh, wonderful um, multi-sport event for wounded, injured or sick uh, armed personnel or, and veterans. And there's lots of interesting uh, sort of challenges, the wheelchair, basketball and indoor rowing and all sorts of things. And I think that Prince Harry should really be commended for inventing this wonderful uh, games that unites so many people and makes everybody feel good about themselves. And in a minute, I will refer to the Australian story where they did focus on one of the participants. Well, now that I've actually worked out, having watched a documentary about what they actually are, I will get right behind the Invictus Games, Corrie. I think we should. should we should add it to our list, Caro. So what else? Tell me about Trade Week. I am so confused by where we are, uh, Potties, where we record our Don't Shoot the Messenger is in a company, is in a, is in a building called Croc Media and Croc Media do all the Trade Week 
who's going back and forward reporting for, I think, is it two weeks, Miss Jane, or three weeks? It's a big business, I Corrie. I can't remember. It, it, Can you the, tell me what's going on it, in this it, place? It's a hive of activity. It changes, it changes every year in terms of time. They say it's too long. They say it's too short. Trade Week actually sort of starts really in July when people start talking about the teams who aren't going to make the finals and who they're going to get. And, of course, this year all the talk was about Tom Lynch and where was he going. It was obvious early on he was only either going to go to Hawthorne, Collingwood or Richmond. It became obvious in early August that he was going to Richmond. But I mean, what you need to know about this year's Trade Week is one thing, and that is that um, – and, and as we sit here talking, today is the last day of the Trade Week, and there'll be this – there'll be a big deal happen today that's going to involve about five or six big-name players and I, about six clubs I, and I a few picks. Eight, I read eight clubs. It could be oh, – They call look, it, it the Super Trade. I got so confused by the third paragraph I tuned out. It hasn't been the most – there haven't been the bombshells of some years, but the, the, the bombshell issue is the fact that the two – franchise clubs, the two pioneer clubs, Greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast, are going through massive, massive change that have highlighted all of their problems. Now, Greater Western Sydney are having a fire sale. Your club's picked up Tom Scully for next to nothing. Uh, doubts about his ankle, but, you know, it does still doesn't, to me, justify that no other club was prepared to offer more than a fourth-round pick for Tom Scully, who was that when GWS was formed, he was their headline act. He was their big-name player they got on big money from Melbourne, just as the Gold Coast got Gary Ablett. Of course, Gary Ablett had a much earlier and more successful start. He became captain. He won a Brownlow. He played fabulous football for a few years. Really poor choice as captain, though. Tom Scully was never made captain, but ended up playing really good footy for GWS, thorough professional, had some injury issues, um, became an All-Australian one year. How old is he, did you say? Oh, Tom Scully, he'd be about 26 or something, right. I guess. Um, but anyway, they've also got – they've also, we think, will lose Dylan Shield to Essendon. So basically, they didn't get Buddy Franklin, as we know famously, when he chose Sydney. But the AFL Commission was so shitty with Sydney that they took away the cost of living allowance, which gave them more money in their salary cap. Well, they had to then take it away from GWS as well. So they've, everybody knew this, well, apparently, that this day was coming. They kept denying they had salary cap issues. Now we know they definitely do. To keep some of their other good players, they've had to get rid of two really good players. There's a view their premiership window is closed. I tend to be a bit of a cheerleader for GWS in terms of their team. I think that um, they're still... I think they'll still be very, very competitive next year. Gold Coast, on the other hand, are losing two captains. Stephen May hasn't officially gone as we speak, but he will go. Two cap, two third captain in three, two years. Oh, Cara, that's and the two terrible. co-captains, Tom Lynch being the other one, have left. Gold Coast are basically starting again. They are starting. Do you again. think they can start again? Well, they How have do- to. They've what? got a twenty-year stadium deal um, at Carrara, oh. so so the, the AFL aren't going to give up on them that easily. It's a bit of a debacle. They've got their third coach. They've put in a whole new coaching panel this year. They've restructured their footy department. Um, they'll have a new captain. They've taken quite a few, two um, reject players from Richmond who were very good players who should manage to get a game up there and players with good, um, much better behavioural and social attitudes. I mean, they'll work a lot harder than some of the players they've offloaded. I heard an interview with this kid, Scrimshaw, who's gone to Hawthorne from Gold Coast the other day. I mean, he, he was talking about all his off-field problems and how homesick he was. It was reminiscent of the old uh, Bubba Watson and the travel issues. <laughs> you don't hear in American football, they're a bit different about how hard it is to leave home. I think that what, people, it's not about leaving home. It's about the fact they don't want to be at the Gold Coast, which has had a poor culture, poor development, poor rehab issues. And we are a happy team at Hawthorne. 
Yes, you are. But I think uh, Scrimshaw won't know what's hit him when Clarko has a go at him after what I've been. Look, I, I just think that um, – I think it's, it is it is a massive problem for the AFL, what's happened with these two clubs. And um, behind the scenes, I think they should be doing a lot more to help the Gold Coast. They've given them mature players. But to think after eight years and all those great players they got early on, they picked some of the wrong older players, that they're starting again really is – bit of a worry. And just quickly, because you and I haven't had a chance even off air or on air to discuss the grand final, where did you rate it in terms of the great grand finals? Oh, it was a fabulous game. I mean, in terms of the standard of footy, you know, there was a lot of mistakes, but in terms of the contest and the story and the drama, oh my Lord. I mean, it was just, it's the first time in 20 years that I've actually longer, 25, four years that I've actually sat there and watched the whole game without having to file straight after. And so I sat with Brendan and we just were riveted from the word go. We didn't have a huge feeling either way about who we wanted to win, we thought. And when Collingwood kicked those first five goals, it was like, oh, heavens. Who did you find yourself barracking for? I found myself barracking for West Coast because after those first five goals, they were by far the better team. And it looked like they had the collie wobbles in the last quarter. They just kept missing. So when Dom Sheed, who'd really only come in because of Andrew Gaff, you know, belting poor old um, Andrew Brayshaw some weeks earlier and missing the game, kicked that unbelievable goal Oh, it was the drama. It was it was just unbelievable. We did talk on the podcast in your absence about the Andrew Gaff crying after the game, and we thought that that was a bit, um, that, that was a bit sooky, sooky, la la. A bit. It's all about me. But then he redeemed himself by not making it all about him, saying nothing at the best and fairest, and then announcing when everyone thought he was going that he would stay. And I think he should have stayed. I think he owed yes, them. Yes, I so, agree with that. So Collingwood. Um, um, West Coast made Richmond look a bit silly, really. I mean, that the way they took it, they played Grundy and the way they tagged Sidebottom, the way they shut down Mason Cox in the first half, it gave the Tigers a bit of a reality check about what they should have done. I mean, oh, well. Talk now. I mean, I'm sorry to bring up Richmond, but <laughs> not still getting over the preliminary final. <laughs> no, it's time to move on. It's October. One more thing about the trade period. It has become such a monster industry that it now has its own shows, as we know, and it has its well, own they're all happening in shows the studio next has its door own to TV us. shows. It gets more hits on every newspaper website. Miss Jane's been working day and night panelling for I know, all these trade I know. Shows. No wonder she, she hasn't fingers got time to do her hair. Her fingers um, are exhausted. But, but it's, it, Jane, that's don't true. take that. That's just mean. But it just, I just find it She's quite, in tears now. Um, journos who've worked with me the age for many years will be laughing, going, what a joke, because you always took, because I'd always worked pretty much from You took your early, holidays from yeah, the well, day after grand final. Well, only for two weeks, but honestly, it was just... You've been working from early February, maybe two weeks off in the middle of the year. I needed a break, but there are people, in football fans, it's their final series because if their team hasn't made the finals, they talk about we had a big win in trade week. I'm like, let's just wait and see what the scoreboard says at the end of round one, shall we? I think that's the real game that I care about. Anyway, now, Corrie. Well, I'm excited about trade week. It's that time of the week again. It's time for the Interchange Bench's crush of the week. I'm looking forward to talking about this one. The Interchange Bench, if your business needs new players, this is where you pick them up. They're the leading provider of temporary and contract talent. See interchangebench.com.au for more details. This is for talent so good you'd wish you could keep them. Good, to have, good to have you off the Interchange Bench this week, Karen. Well, nice to have you back in town. <laughs> where are you going next week? Nice segue, Corrie. Sponsor segue. Beautifully done. Visit the Interchange Bench, everyone, and Corrie, for the Interchange Bench, who is your crush? My crush is Barbara Streisand, Caro. Oh, good call. 
Babs. Do you know why? I don't often do nicknames, but Babs will be mine. Well, no, what's she done now? Oh, careful. You might incur the wrath of um, our listener. Uh, well, what she's done is you don't – I know you don't follow a lot of YouTube or Facebook, but on Tuesday – I think it was Tuesday this week – into my Facebook feed popped Barbara Streisand singing a new track from her new album, Walls, and Walls, W-A-L-L-S, is due out on November 2nd. But this track is called Don't Lie to Me. And she was – it is, it is directed at Donald Trump and Trump's America – and so in an interview, she said that she came about the lyrics thinking about how do people who constantly lie, how do they sleep at night? And that's actually one of the lines in the song. And she has written a very powerful protest song, which as she Did said- she build it up, built it out Bab style? That, well, yes and no. There's not the higher register, but the power and the emotion behind it is really amazing. And the film clip is just a series of images. So it's not her singing- but it's a series of images of uh, all the extraordinary. I'd forgotten, Carol. It's a it's it's a documentary of American life in the, over the past two years. The protests, Charlottesville, uh, Donald Trump's uh, inappropriateness, um, the Women's March, the power of the people rising have up. Have you seen Black Klansman yet? No, not yet. Oh, you've got to go. And yeah, see I do it. have anyway. to go and see it. Look, it sounds corny for me to quote the lyrics here, but one of them is. Kings and queens, crooks and thieves, you don't see the forest for the trees. Head and heart on our knees, you can't see what we all see. You can see what we all see. How do you sleep when the world keeps turning? All that we built has come undone. How do you sleep when the world is burning? Everyone answers to other songs that I have heard, uh, she sings uh, her own version of John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Imagine, which is just a beautiful rendition of that wonderful song. And as she said, this this particular song, Don't Lie to Me, it could be a relationship between a woman and a man who is cheating. So you could see it as that level. But what I really admire about Barbara Streisand is she is 76. Now, we shouldn't be ageist in terms of our, our and I was going to talk about age, about our pop culture heroes and our singers, because let's not forget Mick Jagger is 75, still going strong. So Paul McCartney is Dare 76. Dare I say Babs looks a bit better, scrubs up better these days than Mick does. Tina Turner, you know, still raunching around the stages of America, and she is 78. As I was really sort of swept away by this whole Barbara Streisand thing on Facebook, I just started Googling Barbara, and of course her history of protest goes right back to the 70s when she was an anti-Nixon, uh, anti-Republican person, anti-Vietnam War, and Nixon put her on a list of persons, you know, persona non gratis. So she's and been she consistent. Mem- and she also protested at the Oscars, remember, when she refused to perform that year <laughs> over some... People said that she actually had a throat infection and she didn't think she'd reach the high Dion register. Fill in? Yes. And she oh, sat in the back row in dark glasses, blowing kisses oh, at God, Whenever I think of Celine Dion, I think of Mr. G's dog. <laughs> Sorry to trivialise it. But, Hi, oh. who I met at the Lokis one year. We, Celine was there and I introduced myself to her. Not Celine Dion, Celine the... Um, Chihuahua. Anyway, <laughs> so I just want to say that my crush of the week, thanks Interchange Bench, is Babs, Barbara Streisand. You have been consistent in your protest and uh, I think everybody should have a listen to this new album. I think it's going to be a ripper. If you want to hear a really good album by Babs is Butterfly. Her only sort of, not low moment, but oh, a lot Oh, Yentl. 
Oh no, and 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 I, and I see the new versions out now of A Star Is Born. There's been about five um, versions. Yeah, of this and wonderful people say film. it's very good. It, it certainly. David Stratton says he still can't forget James Mason and Judy Garland, and he, that's his favourite. Yeah, which I agree. I thought the Frederick March one, the earlier one, was even better than that. But David disagrees. But yeah, it does sound like a reasonably good version, and it's of course got Lady Gaga in it in the. Babs' role, Babs and Chris Christophers, and that I think Babs was then at the time going out with her hairdresser, John Peters, and they co-produced the film, and there was a lot of blue. Why, when set. you said her hairdresser, did you point to Miss Jane? Because Jane and I, <laughs> Jane, your hair has become the topic of conversation. Well, I can't stop looking at it; it's so beautiful. Anyway, that was Corrie's crush of the week. It's so typical of Carol to come in with a compliment just to make you feel good. In case you were feeling bad. Visit interchangebench.com.au and you'll find the links to their website in our show notes. Now it is time for BSF. Our friend Melinda Williams, who we call Mindy, and that is a general nickname. It's not a sort of Lordo, Choppo nickname. Mindy has written a book or has basically edited it. Well, she's written it as well. Um, but it, gee, it must have been difficult to edit to go through that book and do the research. It's called Remarkable, and it is basically a tribute to Australia's national living treasures. And, Corrie, you've been on this journey with Mindy a bit because she announced to our book club about, I think, four or five years ago she was going to do this. And she started getting the interviews and interviewing this list that the National Trust, I think, established. So it wasn't her call. It was a National Trust call. And it took a long time. I mean, you, you helped her. I mean, you helped well, her we, along the way in terms of finding a publisher. Well, look, yeah, look, all, all tribute to Mindy, and I played a very small role. But we did have a conversation early in the piece because I had worked at the National Gallery where we were constantly asking ourselves, how can we document this extraordinary and rich collection and take it beyond the walls of the gallery in St Kilda Road out to the people of Australia? How can we get this collection into every home and every library and every school? So when Mindy said that she had discovered that the National Trust in, uh, I think it was 1997, had conducted a public vote to find Australia's 100 national living treasures. And all of us were invited, all Australians were invited to write in who we thought were our most fabulous Australians. The list was remarkable. And so as Mindy discovered, no one had ever documented this list. They had a competition. Rah, hooray, there's the 100 and now let's move on. So she asked me about what would you do with this? You know, she was interested in interviewing and maybe there was a book in it. And I said, you know what, as a bookseller, if you write this book, it will sell because there are too few books that celebrate Australians and are written really succinctly like a reference, but also get a good photographer. And she did in Michelle Lawrence. And the two of them, without any deal with a publisher, funded themselves they travelled around the country to interview people like Bob Brown and so on, and then eventually they got a publishing deal with Thames and Hudson, and they have all the three of them it, have created this amazing book. Well, it is a beautiful. It, it's a it's a would, coffee table. You book. would call it a coffee table book, but the the stuff she's written about every one of the living treasures, and she didn't get to every single one. Some of them died before she got there. Some were already dead. Some like Justice Einfeld and Rolf Harris <laughs> have been taken off the list, <laughs> so they didn't get a guarantee. Gus Nossel and Catherine Freeman, Bob Brown, as I said, Noel Pearson, Graham Murphy, the dancer. And Hazel Hawke, but not Bob Hawke, interestingly. Mm, that was interesting. But Hazel Hawke did such a lot of community work. And remember back in 1997, she was deeply loved and admired, Hazel Hawke. We have to take ourselves back that back to that point. 
her journeys to interview some of these people are just completely fascinating. But I reckon there's a lot for everyone in this book, and I'm sure, and it's very reasonable at sixty dollars. It is indeed. So I commend it. It is a terrific document of record of our great national treasures, and it's a really good Christmas present for well, for every home should have one, but particularly for older generation. In the bookshop, we often have people coming in saying, "I've got to buy you know a book for my father-in-law," or "I'm going to a seventieth birthday." This is the book. There you go. That's the plug. Now, Corrie, you, you say you haven't been to the movies. Um, I've seen a couple. I mean, I did finally finish series one of Killing Eve. Oh, my Lord, what a wonderful show that was. But you have been watching Cruising on SBS. Tell us about it. Okay. Very quickly, Caro, Cruising with Jane McDonald. Jane McDonald is an English singer and a broadcaster. She's from Yorkshire, so she's got that... Um, Last Tango in Halifax, sort of um, our Gillian kind of accent. Yeah. And she, this series is She Travels Cruises. And so the one I watched on Saturday night, so it's on SBS on Saturday nights at 7.35. In fact, I actually didn't watch it on Saturday night. I taped it and I watched it later. But it's a great one if you're home on Saturday night and you love a, a bit of a travel uh, show. As Anna from the Op Shop and I said the other day when we were talking about Joanna Lumley's series on the Silk Road. So at this current series, this is series three. Everything is so exquisite on the Silk Road, isn't it? Isn't it? It's just so beautiful. I mean, it's a great show, but it's not bad actually. Do you think she does much? I don't think she does much research at all. She just sort of. But her presentation is great. Her, the presentation is great, and that's the difference between her and Jane McDonald. Jane McDonald's sweet and lovely, but she doesn't have that natural uh, wit that uh, Joanna Lumley does. And however, you don't really watch it for Jane McDonald. She's a mine host. She's fun enough. That's okay. But these cruises, and because it won a BAFTA award, so we're in series three. I don't know how many have been on SBS in the past. You can download them all anyway. But um, it won a BAFTA award a few years ago. So the Brits love it, and I think they really love Jane McDonald. So as a result, there is mega spend on this series. There, uh, There's fantastic camera work. You go into palaces. The other night, she did a cruise down the Danube, which was stunning. And when she's in Austria, she's invited to go and meet the princess. So she, like, entree to what? So you as the viewer, vicariously, are following along on her coattails. And you, you go into... Well, but when you pick up a travel mag, a travel section of the age or whichever, don't you, you see cruise and you just turn the page? I'm, I'm not quite ready for the cruise yet. <laughs> well, um, well, I just figure you just don't get enough exercise. Well, th- look, there are a couple of things about cruising. And all that I, did think about this. I did think about this as I thought, oh, what's on? What did I tape? Oh, bizarrely, I taped this show. What is it? And I was riveted. And I thought, why am I so interested in cruises? Because to me, it is not the kind of holiday I would ever go on. First of all, it's the big spend of this series. It's really beautiful. So we saw Vienna, we saw Budapest, we saw you know ger- villages in Germany. So it was really fantastic from that point of view. Other one she's done is the Alaskan coastline, which I can't wait to watch. I'd love that. Would, uh, that would interest me. And then she did a, another one, a little boutique cruise on a converted trawler, and they go around the Isle of Mull and all that sort of part of the Hebrides, the Scottish. That you know, that would interest that, me exactly. You see, my mother's done that. Too. So so put Jane and her um, presenting style to one side and put the fact that we're not mad on cruises to another. But funnily enough, Carol, you do become quite obsessed by how many staff are looking after how many people and how many people. She goes on one cruise where there are 4,300 passengers. <laughs> That's a big floating hotel. So yeah. I, look, I'm kind of interested in this, but certainly for that Saturday night, if you find you're at home and you've got the glass of wine and you don't want anything too taxing and you think, oh my God, one more episode of Midsummer Murders and I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> In the library. Um, so 
just watch this. Jane, SBS, Saturday nights, 7.35. Cruising with Jane McDonald. I just wanted to mention also the power of Australian story. It is absolutely my must-watch on a Monday night. I now organise my life around watching Australian story. This most recent week, week was Gary Robertson, who's one of the Invictus um, participants, athletes. His story was remarkable. You can download that uh, he was injured terribly in a, um, in a in a Black Hawk helicopter accident in Afghanistan a few years ago. And then, of course, the week before was a wonderful tribute to Red Simon's son, Samuel, who died of brain, brain cancer. I had. It seems like every time I watch Australian Story, I'm in tears. And Ellie introduced it, didn't she? Yeah, she His did. Mother. She yeah. did. It was a really beautiful one. So that's Australian Story Monday nights at eight p.m. I just wanted to give a shout out to them. And a brief segue from the Invictus Games is um, I, I went to my went back to my old school last night and presented an award. And the guest speaker at the um, at the sports award night was Ahmed Kelly, the Paralympic swimmer, who of course came from Iraqi with no arms and had to have this massive leg operation where they had to remove his feet so he would be able to walk on prosthetics. And he made the Austra- he's made two Australian Paralympic teams. And he is just a wonderful, wonderful young man. And what was the award that you were presenting at school? Oh, there's an award in my name for sports writing. <gasps> in it's my been, name? Well, it's been there for a while, but I go every year and present it. But this guy... Oh, the ye- Caroline Wilson Award for Sports Writing. A few years ago. Oh, I'm so proud of you. A wonderful young woman called Isabella Fletcher won it this year. But um, one year we had Michelle Payne who was talking about... I'm sitting with royalty, Who was talking about how, you know, slightly disillusioned she'd become with the world of jockeying, being a jockey. And she was asking me some media advice. And, of course, five years later, she rode the winner of the Melbourne Cup. So it was all about, you know, you can do anything. Oh, you are an inspiring woman, aren't speaking you? Of doing, speaking of you can do anything, I have the bar snack for you, Corrie. Now, I know you like to serve smoked salmon when you entertain. Mm, I like to eat it too. Yeah, you do. And um, you do it on a lovely platter with um, Georgie Seckles' wonderful homemade dill mayonnaise, which we still make. But Clem, my daughter, has created, I reckon, one of the better bar snacks that I've ever eaten. I'm even going to do it for Christmas. It is the beetroot cured salmon. Mm. It looks beautiful. It's not, you know how you can get a bit sick of smoked salmon because it can get a bit salty. We're not, you don't want to have it every night. This is less salty and absolutely delicious. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. You get 250 grams each of raw caster sugar and rock salt, 250 grams each. This will be on the show notes, of course, everyone. Two beetroots coarsely grated. That's the worst part of the gig because you end up with red fingers. Um, half a cup each, coarsely chopped fennel tops and dill. That's a bit like the Bubba Watson problem of flying from America to No, it, it actually is. It's actually harder. It's actually harder because Bubba would have been flying business class and drinking champagne. And he wouldn't be shredding beetroot. Um, half a cup each, coarsely chopped fennel tops and dill, finely grated rind, grated rind of one lemon, 50 mils of gin, and as you know, that's always available at my house, and... One side of ocean trout. It's actually beetroot cured. You can do trout or salmon. The original recipe was for trout, but we did salmon. It's very easy. You um, combine all those ingredients except the trout or salmon in a bowl, spread half the mixture in the base of a non-reactive container large enough to fit the trout or salmon snugly, place the trout on top and put the other um, bit, the rest of the mixture on the top. Then you cover it and then you take it out of the fridge the next day and you wipe all the mixture off with t- paper towels. Is it pink? Does it come out it, the colour of beetroot? Of, it, it's sort of ombre. <coughs> it's pink on dark, reddy pink on the outside, and it 
it sort of fades to this beautiful salmon colour and you slice it really thinly. What's a non-reactive container? Well, so just a, a, just a Tupperware. Gla- glass. No, not Tupperware. Something that isn't going to stain and get um, horrible chemicals in it. So, <laughs> you know, just a ceramic container of some sort. Okay. And then... You could have said that. The way... Well, you know, I'm just reading the recipe. He laid it on beetroot leaves and served it with creme fraiche mixed with lemon juice and finely chopped oh, she's seal. she's a bloody champ, your Clem, you know what else presentation, she isn't she? You know how in Little Black Samba they use up everything at the end, like the tigers become <laughs> ghee and they make pancakes out of it? Well, Clem actually pickled the beetroot stems... Um, and, um, and melted the tigers and put butter on top. Well, they were really nice. Um, she did that with red wine, vinegar, honey, sugar, salt, some pepper and some thyme and rosemary, and she pickled them. And I'll give you the recipe for that too because then you get to use up every part of the beetroot. But well, we might it, even put it on the new Instagram account. I've forgotten the name of it. Don't shoot pod, I think it's called. This That's is it. the most beautiful. You just slice it thinly. Put migrate it everyone, migrate plate. over. Pour all your friends a nice glass of wine or champagne and some very nice hard biscuits or thin, thin pumpernickel. Yum. Perfect. Yum. Sounds good. Six what are quick you, questions. No, I'm going to ask you what you're grumpy about first. Oh, my God. I forgot about grumpy. I am so grumpy about this. President Trump continues to give these impromptu press conferences in front of the helicopter, Marine One, and it's so loud you can never hear the questions. And then he's shouting at the reporters and it has become his kind of, you know, go-to when he's in trouble. There's some big issue like Brett Kavanaugh or, uh, you know, the the the, um, the elections coming up in November. He refuses to give press conferences, but he will allow the reporters to run after him. With the noise of these helicopter blades, it is so annoying. Politico.com has just gone nuts saying it keeps exchanges with the media short and it avoids situations where he could be pinned down to in-depth questions and follow-ups. And Bloomberg senior White House correspondent Margaret Taleb said that the noise of the helicopter is often so loud that the reporters must afterward check their quotes with the audio recorded from the boom mics. Can you imagine if you're on deadline? Mm. What did he say? What, I'm not did sure. Did you watch I'm the length sure. he sit down he did? Oh, the American was, oh, Network oh, the other. That oh. just makes me sick. Anyway, I'm just so grumpy about these impromptu press conferences in front of the helicopter. Inappropriate President Trump. Inappropriate. Now it's time. There's a lot of things to be grumpy about with Donald Trump, and that is just added to the list. Six quick questions, Corrie. Are you a phone account or TAB girl? Both, Caro. Got the phone account working and actually lost that because I forgot the password from last spring racing carnival. So Will, my son, was down from Sydney. We were having a bet the other night watching the nighttime Mooney Valley. And he said, yeah, just just jump on your phone account. What's your password? I went, oh, don't tell Caroline Wilson. So anyway, I re-established the phone account, but I do love a TAB. But your mother came into our shop the other day. She had steam coming out of her ears. She said, what happened to the TAB around the corner, which was in a pub, and they have gutted the pub to turn it into a brand new wine bar. No more TAB. Well, for the moment, your mother was furious. I think I think mum met Hutchie in the queue for that TAB some years ago. She, she said, often pops into the bookshop on said, the way to the TAB. She said, I met your colleague Craig Hutchison the other day. I said hello to him and I said to Hutchie when we were doing Footy Classified, mum said she met you. Where were you? He said, we're in the queue for the TAB. <laughs> And Caro, that's a, why she's a mad punter, my but, mother. But that's why Not I love that's why I love going to the TAB because you never know who you run into, and it's a bit of fun. And especially if you if you decide you're going to have a just you want to see the form and you want to see the horses, you know, walking around parading, so you can actually place your bet at the last minute. 
you'll often find someone to have a chat with. They're having a beer. You might just be standing there feeling awkward, but you end up, everybody's so chummy. So I'm a bit of both actually. So my question to you, Caroline, is- As you know, I don't bet except for once a year. Tony Jones pulled out of the Melbourne Marathon last weekend. <laughs> Despite all the hype, like, yeah, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And well, I just wondered, have these... you ever pulled out of anything with lots of hype surrounding you? No. Like the ice challenge? or No. Well, no, I, I, I never – I got asked to do that and said I didn't want to do it, which I thought was totally fair enough. Um, but I don't think anything that has been heavily promoted, like giving us – I'm, I'm, as you know, delivering the Andrew Ollie address in a few weeks and I'm media address at lecture and I'm feeling a bit nervous about that. But you don't, you you really, don't pull out of that. You don't. Well, you certainly don't. But I think I mightn't have tur- turned up to certain events because I just was exhausted and couldn't face it. But Tony Jones, he, that there were articles in the Herald Sun. Tony was getting fit. He was training, and then he went on radio on the Monday. And um, Neil Mitchell, the three AW broadcaster, asked him how he went. He said, "Oh, didn't do it." <laughs> oh, well, what? Well, let's just say I went to the Caulfield Cup and. I don't know if he actually said this, but he clearly had a very big day. That Caulfield, the Caulfield races on um, imbibed one too many. Yes, mm. well done to my daughter Rose and um, Ned's girlfriend Zoe and Rose's friend Lenny, who all ran in the Melbourne Marathon on Sunday. But Tone nowhere to be seen. How interesting is that? Oh well, at least was... he at least he fessed up about it. Nicori, who is Beto, Beto or Beto O'Rourke, and why is he your new political pinup? So he is in the Senate race for Texas uh, in the midterms, which are happening in November. As I said earlier, he is running against Ted Cruz. Yes, Ted Corey, Cruz, I read about this in the week. The God-fearing Tea Party senator who ran for president in 2016, who supports the border wall and uh, you know all of the terrible things that Donald Trump has brought into into being. He supports. And Beto, who is, it's a Spanish nickname for Robert because his name is Robert Francis O'Rourke, always known as Beto as a young kid. Uh, He has the charisma of a young Kennedy. He is remarkable. And many people might have seen him. uh, It was this video viral. Preferably not Ted. (laughs) Uh, No, no, Ted ended up okay in the end. He stuck to his principles. Uh, Chappaquiddick wasn't a highlight of his career. You've got to judge some people by their one-offs. Just because you've seen the film and I haven't. No, no, no. It's more than that. Anyway, if you want to, if you want to find out who Beto O'Rourke is, I would advise potties to just look up one YouTube. And this video went viral in August, and it was a it was in Texas. It was a town hall meeting, and somebody asked him about, uh, or, or didn't actually ask him, but said he was this particular chat was a veteran. He said he was very offended by NFL players kneeling during the national anthem. Um, he saw it as, as being disrespectful. And what did Beto think? And Beto started first off by saying, my short answer is, no, I don't think it's res- disrespectful. Yay. Answer the question immediately. And then he went in to explain why, because it was a non-violent, peaceful protest to point out that black people, unarmed black people are being killed uh, or locked up at a frightening level. And he said it makes people no less American to come down on a difference of uh, opinion or conclusion. And I thought that was such a together statement. This thing, this thing has gone viral. So just watch out for Beto. If he doesn't win this race against Ted Cruz, he'll be with us for a long time. And he's also very handsome. I know that is a girly, non-politically correct thing to say, but he really is a very handsome, nice chap. I like him a lot. Caro. Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie on Queen, which I saw a little short of the other night, is coming out soon. Oh, it looks fantastic. I'm, I can't wait. I'm really looking for the guy What's who your plays fa- Freddie oh, Mercury. Brilliant. Great. He yeah. looks brilliant. Mm. What's your favourite Queen song? Look, this is really daggy, but I just love You're My Best Friend. 
I think that is the most beautiful song. And so, yeah, that's my favourite song. How does that go? Can you sing I'm not, it? I'm not going to sing. I can't think. Oh, we'll get Jane, Jane to put some music Jane, on. Jane, if, if you don't, it's, it's one of their biggest hits, Corrie. You're obviously not a big Queen fan, but um, I hope you... You're, I you're, like Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Oh, well, that's great too, but, you know, that's everybody's favourite Queen. No, no, no. And, and Mr Fahrenheit's pretty oh, good. sorry for And Bohemian Rhapsody is good, but You're My Best Friend is a beautiful song. Now, the shredding of the Banksy artwork at auction, was that good or bad? Good for art. Good was thing it? for art. Yep, good for art. Why? Well, first of all, the, um, the, the work Girl with Balloon is now doubled in price. The owner, who is a, an anonymous European collector, she said she's actually thrilled because uh, the artwork has become uh, something that history will always remember. And so that is a good thing in itself. Uh, Thousands of people, Caro, have been lining up outside Sotheby's in Mayfair to see this artwork because it's still on display. People are talking about it. People are engaged. Banksy's prices have gone through the roof. And it was a stunning moment. It was live performance art. And now there's actually something left at the end of it. I think it was fantastic. So that's my yeah. theory on that. No, no, no. Fair enough. What's your GLT? Oh, look, the, the northern Victorian coast and the New South Wales coast – I think that is one of the more beautiful road trips you will ever do. I've done it now several times. I did it again last week. Um, it's one, funny why it's unpopular. Oh, it's not so popular. I well, I mean, these these beautiful towns have now got so much infrastructure that even the smallest town will have a fabulous bakery or cafe. The beaches, I think, are more beautiful than Queensland. Um, one of the highlight is Tarthra, which um, the wharf lock of all, which this beautiful, beautiful cafe um, – meeting place on the wharf has reopened after being destroyed by um, tidal damage. Um, that is just spectacular. The pub, which was ripped down and rebuilt, but the front kept for as a, as a big renovation, has reopened. One of the more beautiful beaches you will ever go to. The Meyer House is nearby, Ken Meyer's house that he gave to New South Wales Parks, which you can rent out. But the drives are beautiful. But the biggest, there are so many lovely places, Bermagui, Molly Mook further north, and then, of course, Port Macquarie. Um, but the big tip, and South Rosedale, where we stayed at my beautiful friend, our beautiful friend Gina's house for our book club weekend. But the biggest tip is... Gypsy Point, which is just a wonderful part of the world in Malakuta, very there are many places there that you cannot get Wi-Fi. Go away for two days without Wi-Fi. Seriously, you can't send text messages. You can't get emails. You basically put away your phone for two days. That is a true holiday. Oh, I've had a couple of lovely visits to Gypsy Point. I think it's one of the world's most beautiful places and great fishing apparently, but just lovely if you've got a little boat to you yes. know, totter on up the coast or up the river, I should say. But isn't it amazing how addicted we've all become to our mobile phones? And when you can't use it for two days, it is just, I found it so liberating and I reckon, so relaxing. I reckon in the next couple of weeks we should do a thing on mobile phones and social media and how much we use it and how much we don't. No Wi-Fi. Anyway, that's the and show how you for forget, the week, And how you Corrie. forget your passwords and you can't get into your Instagram account. That's thank, always a good topic. Thank you again, by the way, uh, for recommending 
Michael Ondaatje's War Light to me. I read that when I was away. That's one of the best books I've read for a long time. Absolutely Can you believe it. it wasn't shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize? Can't, uh, absolutely robbed. We'll talk more about the winner robbed. of that next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe and listen to our new spin-off podcast, which Corrie runs and is doing a brilliant job. It's called The Book Pod. Episode two was with Laura Tingle. Thanks also to the Interchange Bench for sponsoring the show. And um, you can still listen to Corrie's interview too with Leanne Moriarty, which she did a brilliant job on, Corrie. Well done. If your business needs new players, pick them up from the Interchange Bench, the leading provider of temporary and contract talent. We're holding a special fundraising event, a live lunch on November 28. Details coming very soon. That is November 28. For recipes and recommendations. your diary, everyone. For recipes and recommendations mentioned in the show and links to get in touch with us, don't go to the old Instagram. Go to the new Instagram, which is Don't Shoot Pod. Head to the show notes, of course, for this episode. And Corrie, Don't Shoot the Messenger. Don't shoot me, Caro, just because I lost the Instagram account. Please <laughs> don't shoot me. Hello, this is Laura Tingle, and you're listening to The Book Pod with Corrie Perkin. Leadership coups, which is the term for what's happened to us so much in the last 10 years, has really given leadership a bad name because uh, these haven't been about leadership. They've been about power struggles and, and yes, ego. And ego. And the essay is really, amongst other things, talking about the difference between leadership of a community as opposed to a battle for power, or what power is and what authority is. I sort of had this feeling about a lot of modern fiction. I feel like I'm being played with. I feel like this has just been written to get the film rights. I really start to resent it. There's this sense that people are so self-conscious in the way they write fiction now with an eye to the film rights, and it sort of irritates me a bit. I think I've sort of, you know, fancied myself in that sort of delusional 19-year-old way. Corrie is, you know, a war correspondent wearing a flak jacket, you know, which was fairly hilarious because I'm a complete chicken. The party is at war with itself. It's imploding. The lack of women, I think, is as much a reflection of that as it is any particular gender prejudice because I think women always end up on the wrong end of battles of machismo. And do you have a favourite Sam Neill movie? Uh, have you ever seen a Sam Neill movie? Well, I, I, <laughs> I rather famously uh, made a bit of a goose of myself because I admitted that I didn't remember him being in Jurassic Park. I'm Laura Tingle. I hope you can join me and Corrie Perkin talking about my quarterly essay in episode two of the book pod.